Today, uh, we're going to continue in our Advent uh, series that we've been doing, and we get to open up our Bibles to Luke chapter 2. Today, we are there. We, are, we, have, we have come to the place where we look at and celebrate the incarnation, the coming of Jesus. So I'm going to read these words from the Bible, and then Pastor Andrew's going to come read along with me. They'll be on the screen. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria, and all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. The word of the Lord. Hey, hey, good morning. Thanks so much for being with us. Uh, I want to say just real fast that some of you guys look absolutely hideous, and I'm proud of you. So good work on the ugly sweaters. Uh, if you don't know me, my name is Andrew. I'm one of the pastors here at Frontline. I'm really excited to dig into this story, Luke chapter 2, with you. Uh, so if you have your Bibles, that's where we are, Luke chapter 2. Uh, let me say this real fast before we jump in. Uh, man, I, I find that around this time of year, there, there are times where people that don't normally associate with a church or haven't been in church in a long time tend to come. And so if that's you today, I just want to say, man, thanks for being with us. I know that that can take a lot of boldness to step into a church, especially if you grew up in church or if you've interacted with other Christians in the past and maybe you're carrying some church hurt, maybe you're carrying some baggage, and the fact that you're here today is a big deal to me and it's a big deal to us. So, man, if you feel far from God today, if you feel like you don't belong, we are absolutely thrilled that you're with us. We couldn't be more happy. No question is off limits. Um, you don't have to believe the way we believe to, to belong to this community. So thanks for being with us. Um, but by show of hands, how many of you have ever laughed at a joke that you did not understand? Show of hands. Man, I'm so proud if you've never done that in your life. Uh, those, those people that know me really well, my close friends, know that this is something I do more than I care to admit. Uh, sometimes I find myself laughing along to jokes that I don't really get. Here's why. Uh, I grew up, I didn't have cable growing up, so that's part of it. And then the other part of it is I was homeschooled for the first part of my life. 
And so cultural references are kind of lost on me. Uh, I, I just don't really get them, right? I'm not dogging homeschool. We actually homeschool our kids. And, um, and, and I'm trying to, you know, learn with them some pop culture too along the way. And so here's what's so crazy is there are times where rather than just admitting I don't know who that person is or I don't know the story behind that, I'll just kind of chuckle along as if I do. And it's now my worst nightmare because my friends actually have caught on and they'll start to ask me, hey, do you know what, what's so funny about this joke? Do you know who that person is? Do you know why we're laughing? And I just have to hang my head in shame. Like, I don't. I don't know what's happening. I just wanted to belong to you guys, right? Next week, about this time next week, that's what's kind of going to be happening across the Midwest. People are going to be kind of laughing along and celebrating along to a story that they don't fully get. This is so incredible, the story of Jesus entering the world as a baby and we're going to exchange gifts and we're going to throw epic parties and we're going to eat more food than we should and we're going to sleep in and it's going to be so much fun and the Midwest is going to be celebrating along and they're probably not capturing the beauty and the heart and the essence of what Luke 2 is trying to tell us today. In fact, I want you to paint this picture in your head. Luke 2, here's what's taking place. Mary and Joseph have made their way into the city of Bethlehem, about 90 miles away from where they were uh, originally from in Nazareth. About 90 miles away, they've made their way to Bethlehem. She's in a barn, basically like this carved out uh, stone uh, cave type deal. And, and there's no place for them to actually have a home or have a place for her to give, give birth. So she's in this barn surrounded by animals. And this young Jewish peasant girl uh, with her poor husband Joseph, they, they are there and she gives birth to this baby named Jesus. And then not long after that, these angels, actually one angel in particular, is sent by God to these shepherds in a field and the, sh and the shepherds are just chilling hanging out and the angel says I I've got something I need to tell you this is great news it's going to result in phenomenal joy in your life and it's going to be for everybody a savior has been born right and then all of a sudden all these angels appear in the sky a multitude of angels and they're singing and they're celebrating uh, glory to God peace on earth among those whom God is pleased with. This is just an amazing story. And the verse that I want to camp out on today is this verse in Luke 2, verse 10. Look at, it, look at what the angel says to the shepherds. Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. I'm going to basically just spend the rest of our time together unpacking that verse. Good news of great joy, and it's going to be for everybody. That's the message of Christianity, not just the message of Christmas. The message of Christianity to the world, to you in this room, to the people in our city, is there is good news for you. And it's going to result in great joy, and it's going to be for everybody. But here's what's so crazy. I don't know if you've ever done this, but if you interact with people that are not Christians or people that uh, would, would say that maybe they've been hurt by the church or they've seen too many Christians and so they've given up on Christianity because it's just for hypocrites, what tends to happen in Oklahoma is that the message of Christianity is not received as good news, is it? And it's definitely not a message that results in great joy. And often what happens is the message of Christianity feels like it's for certain types of people, not for everybody, right? It's for those that are moral. It's for those that can clean themselves up. It's for those that can behave. And so maybe you're here and the message of Christianity to you in the past has not been good news of great joy. It's been a crushing weight. 
It's been condemnation. It's been one of irrelevance in your life. And so you're wondering, how is this true? How does this scene of an angel, two shepherds in a field, pronouncing good news of great joy, how does that actually come into my life and give me good news? And, and how does this produce joy in me? And is this really for me? Those are the questions that we're gonna be looking at and answering together. So I, d- I just got three things that I want you to see so that way this time next week on Monday when you celebrate Christmas, you are fully stepping in, ready to party and ready to experience all that God has done and is doing. Here's the first thing that I want you to see about Christmas. In Christmas, God came near. In Christmas, God came near. That, on the surface, that might not sound shocking to you, but let's just remember that the dominant religious framework in Oklahoma is what sociologist Christian Smith called moralistic therapeutic deism. And here's what moralistic therapeutic deism says. It says that there is this God out there. He's somewhere out there. He created everything, but he doesn't need to be particularly involved in the, in the events of my life. He doesn't really need to know me. In fact, most people in our city, here's how they think of God. They think of God like this distant being, almost like the, the, the wizard on the Wizard of Oz that's behind the curtain of heaven and you don't really know, but he's back there and he's pulling levers and he's doing things and, 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 and he doesn't have any interaction with our lives and we don't ever experience his presence. He's just out there somewhere. If I need him in the case of an emergency, I might try to pray, but prayer probably doesn't work anyway. And so he's just out there, and we're living our life, and he's doing his thing, and I won't have to worry about him or interact with him until I die. And then when I die, depending on how I've lived, if I've been a good person, if I've kept the rules, if I've treated people with respect, then I'll go to heaven when I die. But if I've done more bad things than good things, then I'll probably go to hell when I die. That's what most people in Oklahoma would think of when they think of Christianity. And that doesn't produce any sort of good news for them, and it certainly doesn't cause great joy, and it doesn't feel like it's for everybody. But here's what actually is said in Luke 10. Look at Luke 10 verse, uh, sorry, Luke chapter 2, verse 10 and verse 11, because I want you to contrast that way of thinking that's common in Oklahoma with what's happening in the story of Christmas. And the angel said to the shepherds, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. What is it? What's the news? For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. See, here's what's happening at Christmas. Christmas is this loud declaration that God is not this distant, aloof creator that's keeping us at at arm's length. But God is one that actually sees and he, he notices and instead of demanding that we get to him, the story of Christmas is that God in this really shocking way, he comes to us. There is not this ladder that stretches from earth to heaven of morality that you and I have to climb and do all these good things and try really hard to get to God. The story of Christmas is that God, when we didn't ask him, he actually came down the ladder for us. He comes after us. This is the shocking story of Christmas for you and for every person in your family and for every person in our city, that despite your sin, despite your brokenness, despite all the ways that you failed, despite all the addiction, despite all the things going on in your life, despite the health of your marriage, God wanted to be close to you, so much so that he actually entered human history to be close to you. It doesn't matter who you are, It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter how broken you feel. God wants to be close to you. 
not to crush you, not to shame you, not to push you away. God wanted to be close to you because he wanted to love you and ultimately bring you to himself. This is the story of Christmas. I, I love it. In Luke 2, the people that God wanted to share the greatest news on the planet with, shepherds in a field. Think about this. God could have sent the angel to anybody in the world, anybody. He could have sent it to uh, the, the Roman emperor. He could have sent this angel to all these different people. But instead of sending the angel to someone really important and really special, God said, there's a group of shepherds in a field. I really want them to hear this, that God is coming near to be their savior, to rescue them and to love them. They're gonna love this news. Send the angel to them. And so here's what's so crazy about shepherds, and I'd mentioned this already, but I want you to capture this. Shepherds in the first century were not really special people, and in fact, that vocation and job of shepherd was one of the worst jobs that you could have, right? It was, it was the job that you got if you couldn't get any other job, right? Uh, it, it was the job that you got if, if all the other options were out, that's the job that you could get, and they were considered low life, they were considered uh, kind of the marginalized, they were considered people that you couldn't trust, in fact, it was so bizarre, a shepherd, if a shepherd witnessed a crime in the first century, someone murdering something or someone stealing something, and that shepherd were, were to be brought to court, that shepherd could not give testimony and articulate what they saw because their testimony wasn't considered valid in the, in the setting of a court. They're considered subhuman people. They're considered less than the worst of the worst, and those are the people that God wanted to send the greatest news to hey, I've got great news. It's gonna cause great joy. God has come near. This is amazing. So maybe today you feel far from God. Maybe today you feel more aware of your sin, more aware of all the ways that you are a failure. Maybe you're today walking in with a lot of shame and guilt. And I just want you to hear this news, and maybe you've heard it a thousand times, and so I'm praying by the Spirit of God this penetrates your soul, that it really doesn't matter what you've done that wasn't a barrier to the love of God. He wanted to be close to you. That's good news. Now it gets better. Here's the second thing I want you to see. It's not just that God wanted to be close to you, but it's specifically how he chose to draw near that's a really big deal and causes incredible joy. Here's, here's the second thing I want you to see. It's not just in Christmas that God came close. It's in Christmas God came to sympathize. God came to sympathize. Uh, look at this. Look at uh, chapter 2, verse 10, and I want you to see what about this news is so unique. The angel said to him, fear not, behold, I bring you good news of great joy. It'll be for all people. For unto you, look at this, is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. Can I just tell you, this is like the most bizarre story of Christmas, that God came near, and the way that God chose to come near to his people was by entering human history, not as a king on a throne, not in power and glory, not showing up and busting the sky open like the angels did with Shekinah glory flooding out. No, Jesus shows up as this tiny little infant being held in the arms of Mary that's how God chose to come to our world. God came as a human being. Now, please don't think of Jesus this way. If you're anything like me, the way I thought of Jesus growing up was that Jesus was God wrapped in a skin suit. It's kind of, he like zipped it up and he looked like a normal human being. But if you were to unzip Jesus, down there somewhere, really deep down in there, is actually God. He's not really a human being. 
But here's what's crazy. The story of Christmas and the way that the scriptures talk about the incarnation will not allow us to read it as just God being clothed in the flesh of a human, but it's God actually himself becoming a human. And there is a massive difference between those two things. That God, instead of just looking or appearing like a man, he became a real human being. Now, he didn't cease to be God, but he actually fully took on what he never had. St. Augustine, the, the ancient church father, probably the greatest theologian that the world has ever seen, he said this, he said, Christ added to himself what he was not. He did not lose what he was. So he didn't lose what he was, but he actually added on humanity. God was born. Now let me just stop there, because when I say that, like, there's no gasps that I can hear in the room. There's no, like, jaw-dropping moments for you right now. Nobody's in here going, oh, I can't believe, like, I've never known that. That's news that God was born. This is kind of old news to you that God was born. So I want to just, like, camp out on this point for just a minute and try to articulate it in such a way that the mind-blowing reality that the uncreated creator of all things was actually put together inside of a, of a young Jewish girl's womb and then sent through the birth canal, and that's how Jesus entered our world. That is absolutely ridiculous and amazing. So let me just try to articulate it. Max Lucado has a great book called God Came Near, and here's what he says about this reality of the humanness of Jesus. Just let this sink in. The omnipotent in one instant made himself breakable. He who had been spirit became pierceable. He who is larger than the universe became an embryo, and he who sustains the world with a word chose to be dependent upon the nourishment of a young girl, God as a fetus. Holiness, sleeping in a womb. The creator of life being created. God was given eyebrows, elbows, two kidneys, and a spleen. He stretched against the walls and floated in the amniotic fluids of his mother. God has, had come near. What a way for God to enter the world. Being put together in a womb and then birthed. So I have a three-month-old, a little boy named Bear and uh, I, I remember just with all of my kids, but just recently with this last one, um, watching him being born. And I had the thought, I had the thought, God did this. God actually went through this. Like, what, what greater humility and closeness could God try to articulate to you and I that he actually didn't just want to be close to us, but he wanted to sympathize with our humanity that to the very core of being born, he knows what it's like to be us. That's amazing. Think about the humanity of Jesus for, for just a minute because it extends beyond his birth and it goes into his life as he grew up. So I wanna read another quote from you, uh, to you from Dr. Sam Storms that I think will help paint this picture of the humanness of Jesus. What I'm trying to do is just let this sink in and, and give you handles for just how real and how flesh and blood Jesus really was. Not this distant, aloof creator but in your face, with our skin, with our humanity, Savior. Look at this. Conception. God became a fertilized egg. An embryo. A fetus. God kicked Mary from within her womb. Birth. God entered the world as a baby amid the stench of manure and cobwebs and prickly hay in a stable. Mary cradled God in her arms. He doesn't look like a creator. She says to herself, envision the newborn Jesus, misshaped head, 
wrinkled skin, red face. Just think, angels watched as Mary changed God's diapers. Tiny hands that would touch and heal the sick and yet be ripped by nails. Eyes, what color were they? Tiny feet, where would they take them? They too would be pierced by nails. She tickled a side, which would also be lanced with a spear. Infancy, God learned to crawl, stand, walk. He spilt his milk and fell and hit his head. Youth was the uncoordinated. How well did he perform at sports? Perhaps Jesus knew the pain of always being picked last when the kids chose up sides for a ball game. God learned his ABCs. Teenager, Jesus probably had pimples and body odor and bad breath. God went through puberty. His voice changed. He had to shave. Girls probably had a crush on him and boys probably teased him. There were probably some foods that he didn't like. Could he sing? Maybe he couldn't carry a tune in a bucket. Carpenter, calloused hands, dealings with customers who tried to cheat him or complained about his work. How did he react when they shortchanged him? See, this should change the way you think of Jesus drawing close to you at Christmas because he's not drawing close as this king that has no relation to you whatsoever, but he comes in our own skin, with our own flesh, with our own humanity, and no one else could sympathize with what it is to be a human like Jesus. He experienced it all. He didn't step into a perfectly curated world that had everything put together neatly, but he stepped into the muck and the mire of our humanness. He experienced the entire human condition that we taste on a daily basis. He knows what it's like to be us, not just because he's God, but because he lived a real, tangible human life. See, you've got to get this idea out of your head that uh, here's this baby Jesus, no crying he makes. That's just not true. Right? He came out screaming his lungs out. Right? He came out a mess. He came out covered in amniotic fluid. Like this is the God that we worship who entered the human world not as a king but as a little baby who is pierceable and breakable. He can relate to your life. He can sympathize with what it is that you experience. See, here's what it is to be a human. To be human means that you and I experience temptation to sin. Did you know that the good news of Christmas is that Jesus knows what it's like when you're alone and it's just you and you've got this raging temptation on in your soul to give in to sin? He knows what that's like. Even though he never gave into it, he was tempted in the same way that you and I are. He knows what it's like to feel weakness, to be worn out physically. He knows what it's like to suffer maybe more than most people. He knows what it's like to experience physical sickness. Don't picture Jesus as never having a cold or never having the flu. He knows what it's like to be sick. He knows what it's like to experience disappointments or pain or to be confused or to be lonely or to experience betrayal or brokenness or mourning or sadness, even death. There's no human experience that you could ever have that Jesus couldn't say, yeah, I know exactly what that feels like. By the way, if you're in the room today and you're suffering or you're hurting and you're just sitting there wondering, man, does God even know? Does he even care? How much more affirmation could he give you than he has entered the world not as this powerful deity floating in the sky but as this breakable, pierceable baby to live a life that you and I have lived? That's amazing news for you. I love these words from Dorothy Sayers. And this is really the type of God that our world longs for. She says, for whatever reason, God chose to make man as he is, limited in suffering, subject to sorrows and death, 
But look at this. He had the honesty and the courage to take his own medicine. Whatever game he's playing with his creation, he's kept his own rules and played fair. He can exact nothing from man that he has not exacted from himself. He has himself gone through the whole of human experience from the trivial irritations of family life, the cramping restrictions of hard work and lack of money, to the worst horrors of pain and humiliation, defeat, despair, and death. When he was a man, he played the man. He was born in poverty and died in disgrace and thought it was worthwhile. Next week, when you are gathered around a tree and you're opening up presents, would you just remember this, that God knows what it's like to be you. He wanted to be close to you so much that he actually humbled himself to the point of becoming a human so that he could not just relate to you but sympathize with every aspect of your life. That is such good news. God wanted to sympathize. I think about all the people in our church that are hurting. Uh, Recently, a friend of mine found out that he has stomach cancer. I spoke with a woman today that she looked sad, and I said, hey, is everything okay? And she started to cry, and she said, my husband died on Tuesday. I think about all these other stories of divorces around this time or loved ones that have died or, or just tragic stuff or maybe it's not even that, maybe it's like financial hardships and burdens and you're just feeling crushed and you're feeling overwhelmed and you feel isolated and you feel alone. I just don't know what's a better story and a better message to you than hey, here's good news of great joy. It's for you that God wanted to be so close to you that he entered the world as a human. He can sympathize, he can relate. Here's the third thing that I want you to see. It's not just that he came close. It's not just that he came to sympathize, but God came to save. In Christmas, God came to save. Hey, can you imagine calling 911 and no one answering the phone? How terrifying that would be? That's actually the story of a woman in Oregon that I read about not long ago. Uh, This woman in Oregon lived through what I think is probably one of the most terrifying things that could ever happen to someone. Late one night on the weekend, um, someone was trying to break into her home. And, and she got on the phone to call 911. Here's what's really scary about this, is a few weeks before this event, that same man that was trying to break down the door and get into her house had already broken into her house and had beat her up and sexually assaulted her, and he was coming back to do it again. So this woman is absolutely terrified. She's freaked out. She's by herself. She picks up the phone. She dials 911, The only problem is um, the dispatcher uh, transferred her to the local Oregon police, but because of budget cuts, the state police no longer were working in her area on the weekends, right? So she calls, uh, and they transfer to a dispatcher. The dispatcher's articulating stuff to her on the phone and says, basically, sorry, we can't send any help your way. We can't do anything for you. So what he does next is absolutely shocking. He starts to give her advice over the phone. And this is just a snippet of the phone conversation. They've got an audio of it, but I'll just read you the the transcript of it. The woman says, he's broken in before, busted down my door, assaulted me. The state police officer responds, uh, I don't have anybody to send out there. You know, obviously, if he comes inside the residence and assaults you, can you ask him to go away? The woman, she responds, yeah, it doesn't matter. If he gets in the house, I'm done. And you can hear the audio recording. She's completely freaked out. What ended up happening is the man ended up breaking into her house. He beat her up again, and he sexually assaulted her again. Some people think that is Christianity. 
that you pick up the phone and you dial 911 and sometimes maybe God will answer, sometimes he doesn't, probably not, and you're just calling out. And then God, what he does in response is, well, have you tried cleaning up your life? Have you tried being a better person? Have you tried uh, turning over a new leaf? Maybe you should check yourself in somewhere and get over that addiction. Or have you tried this? Or what about this? Or well, if this happens, Christmas is not God giving us advice. Christmas is God sending himself to rescue us from our sin. It's a rescue story. We're like helpless and in need. We're the woman that has this tragic thing about to happen and God comes into our world not to speak advice to you but to actually help you and to rescue you. Look again at Luke 2.11. Look at what it says. For unto you is born this day in the city of David, what? A savior who is Christ the Lord. This is good news because Christianity is a story about us needing to be rescued. In fact, this is the greatest search and rescue story ever told. Uh, By the way, um, is there anything more terrifying than being lost? I mean, like being physically lost somewhere, maybe as a kid? Yes, one thing. One thing more terrifying than being physically lost as a kid, and that's to have a kid that is lost. Parents, do you agree with that? Have you ever lost a child? Maybe you don't want to admit that publicly, but we have. We have lost some of our kids before. We have found them, by the way. Um, They're not still out there somewhere, but it's a terrifying, it doesn't matter where you're at, but it's the worst when you're at the state fair, which why does anybody go to that anyway? But there we are at the state fair, and, and it's like all the coaching in the car on the way doesn't matter. They've disobeyed everything that you've told them to do, and they've ran off, and now you've lost your child. And parents go into all-out freak-out mode. Is, is there anything a parent wouldn't do to find and rescue their lost child? Nothing. Nothing at all. Literally nothing. Ask Liam Neeson. There's nothing you would not do. That's the story of any parent. He's not a special guy. He's a parent. He'll do anything. Look at how Jesus describes why he came into the world. Luke 19.10 The Son of Man came to seek and save who? The lost. That's you and me. Don't picture God. So the religious leaders in the Gospels primarily talked about people as sinners. God primarily talks about people as lost. God's view of you is apparent search and rescue. I'm about to do whatever it takes. And here's what he does he enters the world as a baby which is profound. He sympathizes with us at every step of the way. He then lives the life that you and I should have lived, and then on the cross, he dies in our place for our sins. He rises again from the dead, and literally, God is coming to pull us out of our sin and out of our shame and bring us to himself. We've done nothing in the story except add sin and shame and guilt to the equation. He does everything to deliver us from our own sin. Everything to the point of death on a cross so that you and I could be forgiven so that you and I could be adopted into his family. This is not a story of God giving you advice on how to live. This is a story of God coming to rescue you. I love this. So the message of Christianity is not, well, try harder and do more. Clean up your act. Fix yourself. The message of Christianity is that you are loved and he has been searching for you and he has come to find you and he has spent 
all that he has, including his own life, to find you and win you back to himself. And it doesn't matter how sinful you are. It doesn't matter how busted up you are. It doesn't matter what your marriage looks like today. It doesn't matter all the ways that you've been guilty of things in your past that brought you shame. It doesn't matter what's in your story. It doesn't matter. He said, none of that is too big. I'm literally living the life you should have lived, and I'm dying the death you deserve to die so that you can get the life that I lived for you. That's the gift of Christmas. This gift of Christmas is that God came close, and he came to sympathize, and he came to save. That's why we're so happy, by the way. That's why, like, we dress up in silly, stupid sweaters, right? By the way, my shirt says, Chuck Norris will deck your halls, if you're curious right? That's why we do this, is because we have every reason to celebrate. I really was lost, and now I've been found. And not just found, at great cost to the God who created everything. The cost of his own life, who became pierceable and breakable, so that someone like me could be forgiven and loved. That's why we give gifts, because he gave the greatest gift. That's why we sing songs. That's why we celebrate. That's why we're so happy, because God has entered the world, and that changes everything changes everything. So here's what I'd like for you to do. Uh, would you just stand up for just a second? I want to talk with you as we transition out. God did not send you a book. He didn't send you a prophet. God did not send you an ideology. He didn't send you an argument. God sent a person himself. Jesus Christ who came into the world. This is good news of great joy, and it's for everybody. So today, if you're a follower of Jesus in the room, man, you get to enjoy what God has done for you. You get to rest and celebrate again that nothing could separate you from his love. Nothing could pull you out of his hand. But if you're here today and you're, you're maybe you feel far from God or maybe you've started to realize that your view and, and vision of Christianity is more this moralistic therapeutic deism where, yeah, there is a God out there and I just gotta try really hard and live really good and do all the right things and then maybe then he'll like me. Maybe then he'll wanna be close to me. If that's your vision of Christianity today, can I just tell you that God is inviting you to drop it and actually embrace what real Christianity is? That the Son of Man, Jesus, came to seek and to save the lost. Maybe you feel lost today. Hey, that's great if you do. You know why? Because the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. He's coming for you. Not to condemn you, not to shame you, not to push you away. He's coming for you because he wants to forgive you. He wants to love you. He wants to give you a new identity. Man, like, how many of us want a new identity where we could just say, yeah, could you take all my sin and throw it in the bottomless ocean? Could you take my shame and separate it from, as far as the east is from the west? Could you give me an entirely, completely new life and new identity? Jesus says, yeah, I can do that. Oh, and it's free. It's by grace. It's a gift. You don't have to do anything to deserve that. So today, why don't you just receive Jesus? That's, that's what we do at this point. We, we receive Jesus when we realize, man, I'm lost and I'm, I'm far from God and, and I can't get to him. The story of Christmas is he came to me. I want to receive his love today. How we do that is two ways. We repent of our sin, which is we turn away from our sin. We no longer look to that for satisfaction and joy and pleasure. Instead, we turn to Jesus. We call this faith. Faith is not a blind leap in the dark. Faith is not hoping for what is really you shouldn't be hoping for. Faith is saying, I am placing my trust in Jesus Christ instead of in myself. Some of you need to do that today. 
Currently, your faith, your trust is in yourself, your ability to keep the rules and be a good person. Why don't you repent today and put your faith in Jesus? Jesus.